0: This evening, I'd like to have you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Tonight, in the second part of uh, Ecclesiastes 3, beginning in verse 12, we're reminded of the burden on Solomon's heart burden that uh, was there not so much because a burden was caused by others toward him. It was a burden that he carried because of the nature of his own life, of going out into the world and experimenting, if you will. Wanting to know, really, if life was really worth living. The very onset of this book in chapter one, of course, when he says, Vanity of va- vanities, all is vanity under the sun, is an apt description of everything that we've seen in any uh, generation. Of those who have chosen to try to live life without the presence of God, without the guidance of God, without the direction of God, the very God who created the heavens and the earth, the very God who breathed life into man, the very God that we're serving here tonight. The God who sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Solomon said, I've, I've seen all that's happening. It's just vanity under the sun. The beginning of this particular chapter, a very prominent and popular passage that dealt with time and season and a purpose under heaven time to be born, a time to die. And on went this great statement of what life is from conception to, to death. But he made a statement in verse 11 right before we begin reading in verse 12. He said, speaking of God, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He has put into man the capacity of understanding that there is an eternity, that there is an everlasting life beyond this one. That is what the world—the word "world" there—is—is—is all about. It is, is speaking of the capacity of understanding that there is an eternity and that there is life beyond the ages of man. But we cannot know all things because of how great God is. That no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end because of the awesomeness of the God that created all things. So what he says in the next verse is where we begin our study tonight when he says, I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him." Back in 1988, actually in September of 1988, The accomplished singer-songwriter Bobby McFerrin became well-known for performing a a song which became an anthem for a great segment of a desperately hopeless society looking for some meaning in life. I think I don't even have to say the name of the song. I think you all know it, right? Don't worry, be happy. I've got to interject this, but you know, after a while, you know, it just sticks to you. you That song sticks to you just like that one song at Disneyland that, you know, it's it's a small world after all. And yeah, anyway, sorry about that. Well, people were trying to do more to enjoy life. we were enjoying it less and less because they were worrying more and more. So the song had some good intentions, but did it really become an action that men did? You know? Oh, don't worry, just be happy. Fast forward 32 years. The human condition appears to be more trying than ever before as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. Anxiety and stress, fear and torment have become as destructive as some major diseases, the current virus being no exception. I'd like to have you consider two events in the life of the British Methodist preacher, William Sangster. In a painfully honest look at his own life, Sangster wrote in his journal that although he was a minister, the spiritual passion in his private life had languished. He made these following observations. He said, or he wrote, I am irritable and easily put out. I am impatient with my wife and children I am deceitful in that I often express private annoyance when a call is announced and and simulate pleasure when I actually greet them. From an examination of my heart, I conclude that most of my study has been crudely ambitious, that I wanted degrees more than knowledge and praise rather than equipment for service. Even in my preaching, I fear that I am more often wondering what the people think of me than what they think about my Lord and his word. I have long felt in a vague way that something was hindering the effectiveness effectiveness of my ministry, and I must conclude that the something is my failure in living the truly Christian life. I am driven in pain to conclude that the girl who has lived as a maid in my house for more than three years has not felt drawn to the Christian life because of me. I, I find slight envies in my heart at the greater success of other young ministers. I seem to match myself with them in thought and, and vaguely jealous when they attract more notice than I do. End quote. And yet we find toward the end of Sangster's life a a change of attitude and and perspective when he learned that he had progressive muscular atrophy and, and could not get well. He made four resolutions and kept them to the end. The first one was this. I will never complain. The second was, I will keep the home bright. The third resolution was, I will count my blessings. And the fourth was, I will try to turn it to gain. Well, when you think about those four things and the change in this particular minister's life, you begin to realize that this is the approach to life that our preacher, Solomon, wants us to take. Because Solomon isn't isn't saying, don't worry, be happy. Essentially, he's saying that the Lord can be trusted and that he should be the object of our faith in this life. Our God should always be the object of our faith in this life. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ should always be the object of our faith in this life. And so there are two points that, that we want to cover in our text this evening. The first point is this, give thanks and enjoy what you have. That's what we'll see in verses 12 through 14. Give thanks and enjoy what you have. The second point that we're gonna deal with tonight is, give thought to what is to come. Verses 15 through 22. So let me go over those again because I want you to make sure that you see the significance of these two points. Give thanks and enjoy what you have. But also, give thought to what is to come. So we look at the first point here. Give thanks and enjoy what you have. And, and let's read verses 12 to 14 once again. For Solomon says, I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice. Now, he's not saying that there's no good in in us. I mean, we already know that from the scriptures. Uh, There's no good in in man. You know, uh, any good we have, of course, comes from the Lord. What he's saying is there's nothing good for any man to do but to rejoice. That's pretty much the thrust of what he's saying here. I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. Rejoice and do good. That certainly sounds like the anthem of every believer in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and then do good to one another. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Now only we as believers in Jesus Christ know that whatever it is that we have from God is always a gift from God. We know that Paul told us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But in fact, everything that we have is a gift from God. And then he says, I know that whatsoever God doeth. It shall be forever. And nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, which means, for example, that when God created the heavens and the earth, there's nothing that man can add to that, and there's nothing that man can take away from it. And God doeth it. Whatever it is that God does, that men should fear before him. Men who have only faith in science don't realize the power of the God who created the heavens and the earth by the word of his power. Don't realize it. So getting back to the, te- the text, this particular thought of the enjoyment of life is an important theme for Solomon throughout all of Ecclesiastes, because I want you to consider what he wrote in the previous chapter, in chapter two, verse twenty-four. Just go back a page, if you will, or half a page, and, and notice that he said there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. God wants us to appreciate. God wants us to enjoy the things that he has blessed us with. The gifts that he has given to us. Yet it is us. We know, we're the ones that are laboring in this world. We know that we're laboring like we do in the sweat of our brow because of the fall of man from Genesis chapter 3. And this is where God says that. Yet he says, but enjoy the life that you have. Solomon would have us to practice enjoying God's gifts as the fruit of our labor, no matter how difficult this life could be. The Apostle Paul focuses on a similar practice, leading to a comparable result. Consider, if you will, 1 Timothy 6. I know that we've read this before, but it's, it's just review, and it's, and it's good to reinforce this thought. But in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, Paul said, "...charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded or, you know, conceited, arrogant. That they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy." We have been given things from God to enjoy them in this life. But notice verse 18, "...that they do good." that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So when we enjoy life, we are not just enjoying life for ourselves, but we are enjoying the things that God has blessed us with so that we can bless others. That is a very clear little statement that Paul is making here, because he says in verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's not saying that the rich are not saved, but he's saying what Jesus said about storing up riches in heaven. And realize that when we store up riches in heaven, we're not storing them up just for ourselves as if, well, you know, we need to store up riches in heaven because who knows what we're going to do over there. Well, I don't know what we're gonna do over there but there are some things that are going to be very prominent for you eternally so that what we do in this life matters in eternity it matters in heaven Jesus clarified the matter itself when he when he spoke these truths in that message that he gave on the mount you know we Oftentimes call it the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew chapter 6, notice what he says in verse, verse 31 and following down to, down to verse 34. He said, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? I know that's, that's some of the things that you say after church, you know. Where shall we go? Nowadays, you know, the pickings are slim <laughs> out there. So we say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Being that the only place you can buy clothes is at Walmart. Oh, I'm sorry, Target too. Are they opening stores now? Are stores being open now? Yeah, okay. So we're not worried about that all that much anymore. But notice what Jesus is saying here. Take no thought. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do Gentiles seek. See, what, what, what Jesus is saying is, com- is comparable to what Solomon is saying about living life under heaven or living life under the sun. But that's what people care about. Just, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? How, 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 how are we going to live life? But Notice that Jesus said, For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. So see, see, do you see the distinction for every believer, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And as long as we're living under the sun, even though we are living with, with, a, with a mind of heaven, we're living under the sun on this earth until Jesus comes. While we're doing so, we just focus our attention on every day that we live, what God has given us to appreciate, what God has given us to enjoy, what God has given us to give, and to help in serving others. You know, Paul chimes in again on, on, on this very issue when he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And really, if, there, if there's a key to this passage tonight, or if there's a word that we want to hold on to, it is this word rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation. Be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And and let me tell you that the Lord was at hand then, but he's more at hand now. Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious for anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth All understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word keep there is a very powerful word that says that the peace of God shall guard, protect, and garrison your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. He guards us and he guides us and he protects us. And on this subject of rejoicing, by the way, our great privilege in this life is to rejoice in doing good all of our days by promoting God's glory. Let me say that one more time. Our great privilege in this life is to rejoice in doing good all of our days by promoting God's glory. Now, in other words, doing good to others while giving glory to the Lord. Doing good to others while giving glory to the Lord. And this was certainly and always has been Paul's motivation it has always been Paul's pursuit, something that he describes as a matter of fact for the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, where he says in verses 31 through 35. Now, he says a lot of great things, by the way. Paul says a lot of great things in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17 all the way down to the, toward the end. And uh, we've covered some of those things Already, of course, we covered it when we studied the book of Acts a while back. But in Acts 20, verse 31, listen carefully as it applies to what we're talking about tonight. He says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. Now, the warning, of course, was that even within the the church itself, there would be men rising up. As deceivers, rising up as those that, that that were there to disrupt the church, even leadership in the church. So he goes on and he says, And now, brethren, verse 32, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver. Or gold, or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me. You know, a lot of times we don't emphasize the fact that when Paul says that he was a tent maker, that he did things, he didn't do it just for himself. He actually did it for those that were with that that were uh, working in the gospel ministry with him. I have showed you all things, he goes on to say, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is the very emphasis of Solomon's statement here in in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To enjoy our own blessings is the motivation to communicate the, the blessings. To enjoy our blessings is, a communicate, is the motivation to communicate them. And so instead of complaining about what we don't have, let's enjoy what we do have and thank God for it. Also, also, Trusting in Jesus Christ gives us an eternal perspective. Whatever God does, it shall be forever. Whatever God does, it shall be forever. A British preacher from years gone by, not just days, but years gone by, his name was Thomas Watson. He he wrote this. He said, listen carefully. He said, eternity... To the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. Think about that. Let me read it again. Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night That has no sunrise. It's a beautiful thought when you think about the very fact that when we will be before the throne of God in heaven, there will be no longer any night. It will always be day. What does that say about the darkness of of hell? What does it say about the darkness of being separated from God for eternity? But night. Constant night. Our proper our proper attitude then is to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord, to reverence the Lord, to respect the Lord worshipfully, to respect Him with awe, having a high view of God, a low view of man, and to to, to fear the Lord in all submission. And obedience. If we fear God in the proper biblical and worshipful sense, if we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. Why? Because he is truly in control. God is truly and always in control. God hasn't lost control of anything. We we, we know this because we've always stated that the scripture is very clear that he knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. God does not falter. God has never failed. God will never fail. So now from giving thanks and praise and enjoying what we have, We now turn to our second thought. Give thought to what is to come. Give thought to what is to come. Let's read all the way from verse 15 through 22. Solomon says, "'That which hath been is now, "'and that which is to be hath already been.'" What does that say? There's nothing new under the sun. And God requireth that which is past. And I'll explain that in a moment. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts for that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts every one thing befalleth them I'm sorry, even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. We heard that before. From dust we are, and to dust we return. Here it is. Who knoweth the spirit of man? that goeth upward in the spirit of the beast, that goeth downward to the earth. Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Solomon now would have us to remember that life, death, Time and eternity are the things that make up our brief experience under the sun. Life, death, time, eternity are the things that make up our brief experience here under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 22. He's already mentioned the certainty of death. but Now he gives us assurance that God is in control of the cycle of life. As he described it, by the way, back in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Notice the cycle of life here. The thing that has been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It had been already of old time, which was before us. Stop there and think for just a moment. As I've mentioned many times, how many products that we see growing up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, that today in the 80s, 90s, and in the 2000s, and 2010s, and even 2020 is new and improved. And they always use the word, it's new. Well, it might be improved a little bit, but it's the same stuff. Milk is still milk, new and improved. Borax is still borax. Oh man, that's an old word, isn't it? (laughs) Verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Simply the past seems to repeat itself. but The Lord can break into this cycle and do as he pleases. And I think we should truly be thankful that God has broken into that cycle. He broke into it when Jesus himself broke the cycle by coming to die And raising from the dead so that he could make us a part of a new creation that overcomes time and death. You see the importance then of seeing everything that is just physical or material. Why it becomes vanity and worthless. Because it will have an end and it will be gone. But that which has no end is that which has been changed by the power of the one who created us and made us and gave us a way of escape, gave us a way of being saved for eternity through Jesus Christ. How can we forget Paul's great statement in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21? Verse seventeen itself is something that we should all know. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. See the cycle of life in the sense of what is is on this earth and only on this earth and will e- eventually perish. That, to some extent, kind of remains in in this one sense. That if 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 the Lord takes us before the rapture of the church, you know, well, we die. We you know, we'd be placed in the ground or whatever. But who we are was changed. The real person that we are. The spirit that came alive that, he was go- that he's going to prepare a new body for. We're the new creature now. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That is our ministry in this life. That is our ministry to, to, break, to, to help break the cycle in most people who are living just under the sun to come to that new creation that is in Christ. And this is how he says it in verse 21. For he has made him to be sin for us. That's Jesus. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How significant is that then? That each and every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ has been reconciled to God. Our whole life has been reconciled. Our account now is caught up and paid. We oftentimes, I, you know, I don't know when tax season is anymore because that's kind of changed. You know, but we have to sit down and with a pencil, uh, you know, have to go through and reconcile all of our accounting. Our accounting was reconciled by Jesus. We've been reconciled to God. Our books are clear before God. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, as Paul said to Titus, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. So getting back to our text then, Back in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we see a new thought that's added. God will call the past to account. And remember, we're we're talking about under the sun, but notice this. God is calling the past to account. If you go back to verse 15 for just a moment, let me read it to you. It says that which has been is now and that which is to be has already been and God requireth that which is past. Literally what it's saying is God seeks what hurries along. God is seeking. Us as things are just passing. The time that seems to get away from us quickly. God is keeping track of that. That is what it means when he says that he is requiring that which is past. Time is getting away from us quickly. God is keeping track of that, and at the end of time, we'll call it into account. So the question is, as believers, the question is, are we redeeming our time? Are we redeeming our time? You remember that particular statement from, uh, from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 where Paul said to that church, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the most and the best use of our time, redeeming or buying back time because the days are evil. And the days certainly are evil today. There's no doubt that there's uh, there's there's there's, there's, e- there's an evil in the world that is seeking to control everything that is happening today. In particular everything that is happening so far not only in this country but we have to say globally. But when we consider the the you know the the end time prophecies of the scriptures it is leading their to the issue of global uh, domination, global conditioning, all of this is global because that's what the revelation of Jesus Christ says. Oftentimes, want you to read Revelation chapter 13. Why? Because it is there that it is clear that there is a push toward a one world government, a one world uh, religion, and a one world leader. That's what all of this is all about. So the times are evil and we need to redeem the time. We need to make the most and the best use of the time that God has given us before Jesus arrives or before Jesus appears. Now, Solomon had witnessed the injustices of his day and wondered why judgment was delayed. That's verses 16 and 17. Moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, and iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time uh, uh, there for every purpose and for every work. The question is, how can God be in control when there is so much evil and wickedness in the world, and the wicked are prospering in their sin, and the righteous and obedient are suffering? How can God be in control? But we need to know and we need to understand clearly that God has a time for everything, even for judgment. God has a time for everything, even for judgment. To everything there is a season and a time to every person, every purpose under heaven. So God has his time. God has his time for everything. God has his time for mercy. God has his time. For grace. God has His time for judgment. He is working out His eternal purposes through the deeds of men, even the wicked. And see, this is sometimes hard for us to understand, but it is needful for us to understand, though we may not understand the finer points of this. God knows all from beginning to end and uses all for his glory, and for his purposes. The Lord is even judging now, don't you you think? God is judging now. Verse 18 strongly suggests that God is testing man. Notice, I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. What is he saying with that statement? When he says that God might manifest them, that means that God would sift them. Literally, it means that he is going to sift man. It's a time of testing. When man leaves God out of his life, what he says at the end of that particular verse, that when man leaves God out of his life, he becomes like an animal. He becomes like the animal in their natural environments. We were not created as the animals. Evolution would beg to differ. But they have a built-in system, of course, of millions of years, you know, millions or billions of years to go back to a certain place where they can say, well, see, we just evolved from, a, from a, an amoeba to what we are today. So we, we came through the animal kingdom. The Bible says, no, we didn't. It's hard to imagine when you hear some of the great works of classical music or you see some of the great works of art or of literature, that that just seem to happen over billions of or millions of years where other animals can't do that. I, I, I just laugh sometimes when I see, you know, that they give a paintbrush to an elephant. They're, th- they're throwing paint on a canvas and then they say, oh, that's like a Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock probably made a bunch of money saying, "You know, I'm going to act like an elephant and throw paint on a canvas and make a million dollars for it." Who's the idiot? <laughs> ah Don't get me started. OK. Turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, I think we're almost done here. Not really. Psalm 32 verses 9 through 11. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule. Gee, Wilbur. I may remember Mr. Ed. Okay, I have to do my Mr. Ed impression. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which hath no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Now, we're distinct from the animals. But man and beasts do have two things in common. They both die, and their bodies return to the dust. Our advantage over the animals is that we were made in the image of God. Verse 21 of our text. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth. Verse 21 here of our text would remind us that we are distinct from animals for we will appear before God while animals simply cease to exist. I'm sure there'll be people saying, oh, how can they just cease to exist? Oh, isn't there a dog heaven? Well, I don't see that in Scripture. I mean, I, you, you can believe that you'll see some of your dogs. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe they will be better dogs. Whatever. But understand this. From the pure sense of the Scriptures, listen. Man has to appear before God. And we as believers will, will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, while unbelievers will have to appear before the great white throne judgment of God. But man will appear before God. The animals, when they die, they cease to exist and God has blessed us with them while on the earth except for the ones that want to eat us. But I mean, God will, will bless them. And then we're reminded again to receive life from God's hand and enjoy it while we can. Because no one knows what tomorrow may hold. So be at peace with God and submit to his sovereign control. Let's face it, we have, to, we have to be at peace with God if tomorrow we're told, okay, we're going to extend the lockdown for another five months. Well, you know, we can get up in arms and, you know, and what does it do for us? Not much. God's still in control. How dare that governor do that? Oh, I'm going to turn him into a pile of ashes. No. God is in complete control. We pray that they don't do that. But we can be at peace with God and submit to His sovereign control because He indeed holds the future. Cast your cares upon Him for He cares for you. Peter tells us that. Don't just endure life, enjoy it one day at a time. Don't be satisfied with yourselves be satisfied with what our great God and Father gives us. And he's given us such great and wonderful gifts. I mentioned, of course, uh, earlier about what Paul says in the book of Romans, when he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, tells us that every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Of his own will begat he us. Of his own will we were born again with a word of truth. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13 says not that I speak in respect of want for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me You know, I know know a lot of people like that verse and they say, oh, see, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, which means then you know how to be abased. You can be abased through the strength that God gives you. And you can abound through the strength that God gives you. You can do all things through Christ. But that doesn't mean that we have now overcome completely all bad things. If we've had to face anything in the last few months, it is God that gives us the strength to deal with those things. <clears throat> a widow who had successfully raised a, an exceptionally large family was being interviewed by a reporter In addition to six children of her own, she had adopted 12 other youngsters. And through it all, she had maintained stability and an air of confidence. When asked the secret of her outstanding accomplishment, her answer to the newsman was quite surprising. She said, I manage so well because I'm in a partnership. What do you mean? He inquired. The woman replied, many years ago, I said, Lord, I'll do the work and you do the worrying. And I haven't had an anxious care since. Lord, I'll do the work and you do the worrying. of course, God doesn't worry. God has seen the end from the beginning for each and every one of us, and the beginning for the end. And each one has a different beginning and each each one of us has a different end. But God's seen it all and He doesn't worry. And because He doesn't worry, we don't have to worry. We just enjoy. And you know there's a word in in the word enjoy, it's the word joy, and it's also the basis for the word re Rejoice. Rejoice is enjoying the presence of Almighty God. Enjoying the blessings of Almighty God. You know, we could all profit by following that example of that that mother. Because when we carry our part of the load, We need not be disturbed by the demands of life. When we are doing what God has called us to do, knowing that he's the one who strengthens us and he's the one that's with us, that he never leaves us nor forsakes us so that when we're doing whatever it is that he's called us to do, he's already there. He's the one that's giving us the strength because he is our strength. He's the one that gives us a song in our hearts because he's the song in our hearts. And we know that because Jesus himself said, Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, When it comes down to it folks, Jesus is the one carrying us. He's always carried us. But we realize what our responsibility is. And we can do it because we know that he'll be with us. If we were just under the sun without God, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Many people would be dying of heart failure. Jesus talked about that in the Gospel of Luke. Men's heart failing them because of fear. Because that fear of of, of man has torment. But he said, don't fear that way. I've given you a different kind of fear. Fear God reverently respectfully, worshipfully. So what better time than now to be yoked to Jesus? Let me leave you with these words from Isaiah chapter 40. And I'll close with this. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, verse 27, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over, from my God. Oh, how many people feel that way today? As if God has passed them over. As if they're hidden from God and God hidden from them. And notice the response in verse 28 Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We used to sing that verse as a song years and years ago. And we would sing all of those verses, or all of that, all of those words in verse thirty-one. And then we would end it by saying, "Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait." Wait upon the Lord. And waiting upon him is the strength for us. While we're here under the sun, but our hope and our hearts and our treasures is is in heaven, we can wait and be renewed. That's a gift of God. For you and for me. That is a gift of God. And it is something for us to enjoy. Amen?